1: Bro, I'm gonna protect this hip hop shit because if you mm. don't, and I know you guys do too, if we don't, like it will go to to shit.
0: I think hip hop will always be a void for the people.
2: Yo, it's good to see you. You too, brother. Thank you for thank you for joining us, man, here on our What's the Headline podcast from Ambrosia for Heads.
1: Right up. Of course, man. You guys always been... Um, not only have you always looked out for me, but even if you didn't, you've been a quality outlet, which means even more, you know?
2: Mm. Thank you, man. really appreciate you. that. So for those at home, we have Static Selective joining us today. And I don't know if you know it, man, but you are the first ever interview that we ever did for AFH back in wow. 2011. That's dope. Uh, down at A3C. Dope, and, dope. Uh, and even more bugged out is that as I was interviewing you, you were including me in your video to play the game.
1: With uh kill It. man, yo, so much was I, I almost said killer, uh been crit and uh gives, yep. Yeah. It's crazy, man, because uh so much was going on at that time and actually a friend of mine passed away while we were while we were shooting the video. Oh wow. And it was a really uh, emotional day. And um wow, looking back at that, it feels like forever ago, but yeah, what, nine years ago? Crazy. Yeah, I
2: mean, so what what, what are some of the biggest changes for you in those nine years?
1: <laughs> Everything. Um, you know, that was definitely a certain uh phase of my life that we, we had a lot of fun, man. We were doing like the you know, all the 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 hip hop festivals were still popping. South by was still kind of um you know, South by was a virgin and didn't get completely raped yet. Like that shit the way South by changed since then and A three C and all that was like crazy. Uh I don't mean to throw the word "rape" around like loosely. You yeah, know what I yeah, mean, though. Yeah. Like the, the whole thing got super just, corporate. It got crazy. Um, now it's like 2011 was a was a fun time, man. I feel like it was a in between phase too. A lot of there's like a certain group of artists that had success in that time, and I think that um, dudes like Skyzoo and Torre uh, Torre, um, Term Rex. Uh, there was a black milk. There was like a whole group of artists right then that were shining. Mm-hmm. They kind of were in between the, the end of the CD era and the beginning of the iTunes era. And it was like a double edged sword for them. But I feel like their movements kind of birthed the opportunities for the artists that came next. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, 2011 was the beginning of the Freddie Gibbs, oh. the Big Crits, and the, um, you know, that whole wave, DJ Coles, and all them were coming out. And it was like a new phase starting. But I feel like it was the, uh, it was like a transition period. I think about it all the time. Mac Miller was fresh out, um, rest in peace. Um, it was a fun time, man. It was like I saw a lot of change in hip hop, and um, now we're in. A, you know, I w- what I was saying was I feel like it opened up the doors for for a lot of artists. Um, you know, when I look at like Griselda. They're killing it, the hustles, and bananas, all that. But I feel like if they came out back then, they might not even have the same shot they got now. I feel like there was, like, certain – because I remember the first time I met Westside and the first time we worked, and ironically enough, it was at um, – the first place we really hung out was at the the masquerade in atlanta where a3c was Mm, but this is like 2015 now Mm -hmm. and he played me the record he's like i got sky zoo on this and i was like oh word that's what's up and i was like not surprised but i was like oh he got sky on here as like you know me and sky have known each other forever but we hadn't done anything around that that time and west side's like yeah man he's like one of my biggest like uh That was a big influence on West Side Gun. He loved what Sky did. So I look at it, and I look at how they they were doing everything coming out at first, and I'm like, they were watching the blueprint that was being laid down for, like, this new wave of what's going on now. And I love it. Like, I'm happy to be part of all these generations, you know, going back to, I feel like the first, uh, the first Part of the game that forget about the mixtapes, forget about all that. I'm talking about just my production, the first era of rap. My production started to have some some shine. Was like the the Koch Records era because mm-hmm. I was doing stuff with like Foxy Brown and A. Z. And those were my first placements really ever. Um, like random KRS song, and those were my first like real placements. And then I watched every era, the the Koch Records era, the Land era was like the same kind of Koch came right after Land to me, and then um watching everything change when iTunes was like everybody looked at iTunes as such a threat to yeah. the vinyl and CDs and at the end of the day now we look at it, it's like damn I wish people were still rocking iTunes yeah. the way they yeah. were yeah like you could be number 3 on iTunes now and be like number 150 on the Apple Music because so the kids are streaming these songs so many times it's the same as like back in the day when we used to like listen to the radio and you'd hear you know you'd hear um a 50 cent song 75 times a week on one radio station. That's how it's doing it with the streaming now. And it's like, the kids are still controlling it. Um, But yeah, it's cool, man. It's cool being present for all this and just like really, um, I I feel like at the end of the day, I was part of all those phases. And now we're here in this new streaming era and vinyls back. I love that. Um, And also like sampling is at like an all time high at the same time. that it's at an all time low. It's like in the mainstream, Or, like, major label albums, it's, like, it's rare to hear a sample now. You'll hear them here and there. But, like, even when I'm placing records now, it's, like, we're replaying stuff. We're getting original compositions to sample. And the underground is just doing whatever they want. The way we always did, but it's, like, dudes are doing reckless, like, craziness now. I see, like... I'm pretty sure there's a couple of songs up for a Grammy or an album up for a Grammy this year that didn't even clear the sample. <laughs> Word. Yeah. <laughs> I look at that. and I'm like, wow. Yeah. So, and don't get it twisted. I still spend, and I I will claim this. I spend more money on records than any other producer in 2020, mm-hmm. 2019, 2018. Man, I've been I've been going him with the samples and uh, records. The only person I've ever seen that spent, and I know Alchemist is that's my that's my uh, uncle, Q-Tips my dad, Primo's my dad like. I get that, but I'm talking about, like, the cats in my age group. Ain't nobody buying as many records as me. So, um... Yeah, what do I'm you prefer with in? samples?
2: What do you prefer huh? with samples over, like, original productions?
1: Well, this new album I just dropped is, like, almost 90% original uh, original music. Mm. So I'm, re- I'm really excited about that. We're, we're going to aim for some big placements with this. And there's just many more opportunities when you don't have to worry about it. Or when you actually clear something, which, you know, I've done before too. It's, I'm talking about my albums, you know? Yeah. When I do something for Joey or Nas or whoever, it's clear. Don't worry yeah, about that. Yeah, but, yeah. And I always sample. But my point is, is like, I, I, I went so hard on this album trying not to have samples on there that now I feel like I have to defend my uh, my sample ignorance. So I've been going hand with the samples still. I always do that. And I love that, like, cats like Ransom is shining right now, just looping the kid Nicholas Craven literally just loops something. And puts it out with him rapping on it and it's like that's cool too like there's so many different waves to it there's like the the rock marcy like no drums wave and then there's like they're using the samples with more like bigger drums in the sample but not adding them there's like so many waves of it now and i just love where hip-hop's at
2: yeah no it's, it's a dope album too man uh, for those who don't know it's called the balancing act out now uh you got a ton of guests uh, you know, some Old Faithfuls, you know, Joey Badass terminology, styles, like, you know, a lot of people like that, but one of the, the tracks that really surprised me, and, you know, uh, I, I'm not sure if it's the first single or not, but Keep It Moving with Joey and Nas is yeah, phenomenal. The first um, Thank you. And, you know, so people would expect to hear them on your record, but then you got uh, Gary Clark Jr. on there, which I think yeah. is, like, probably left field for a lot of people. So how did that happen? How did you guys connect?
1: Man, it's crazy, because... Uh... I went to this, I've been a fan of Gary Clark and I've been like, you know, familiar with who he is and all that. But I went to a show right down the street from my studio and it was Alicia Keys in a room with like maybe 50 people. She put on this very intimate show. And I look over, she was bringing out special guests and all that. I look over and Gary Clark's just standing right next to me. And, you know, it was like late night on a Saturday. Everybody had been drinking and all that. I was like, I'm not going to bug this dude. But I was like, let me, uh," I, I hit up his IG. And I was like, yo, i I seen you at the spot. I was like, because I clicked on his, this is what really happened. I left this part out. I clicked on his IG and it said that he followed me. So I was like, oh, shit, okay, I wish I said something now. So I, I, I DM'd him. I was like, yo, peace, man, big fan. And he's like, yo, same here. And um, I was like, I got this record. I'm coming out with, with Nas and Joey. Now, mind you, neither one of them were on the song yet. I was just like, <laughs> but I knew it was coming, but like. I didn't have no record with Nas and Joey. It was just a, a conversation that I had a lot of faith in. So I sent him the beat, the original version of the beat. And, um, man, he was like, send it over. He sent it back with just him going in on guitar. And then um, I told – I remember telling Nas people, and they were, like, excited about Gary being on it. And I'm not trying to throw him under the bus, but I i told Joey, and Joey's like, "Who—who who is that? And I was like, you know, <laughs> just look him up. And then he's like, yeah, but – he was just like, you sure? Because I want it to be me and Nas. And I'm like, no, bro, it is you and Nas. But like adding that element changes the, it just changes the whole thing and brings like a whole nother audience and like vibe to it. I'm like, just trust me on this. And then I guess he had a couple of conversations and he he hit me back. He's like, nah, he's like, that's dope. He's like, I, I looked into who he was, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, Joey's always about learning, uh, you know, being put on the music anyway. And he's very on top of things. So shout out to Joey for being a, you know, Uh, a needle in a haystack when it comes to this generation because a lot of a lot of kids don't want to hear that like nah this dude's the man to be like nah if i don't if it's not popping around me you know certain people have certain attitudes with joey's always open to learn so he's always he's been like that since i met him at 16
0: Mm.
2: yeah and it's really integrated uh it's really well integrated into uh the record too it doesn't overpower anything but speaking of joey I mean, you, you've you known him since he was a, a child. Like, I mean, I think yeah, yeah. You, you, you produced on 1999, right? Which was yeah. also, 20, I mean, also 2011. So, you know, what's it like seeing him grow not only as an artist, but a, as an actor too?
1: It's amazing, man. I've watched him. Like, he was always an old soul since I met him, but I watched him, like, take this serious since he was that age. And I mean... I've never really seen that before, even when I was like, uh, when I was his age, you know, I was taking it very serious, but I didn't have no platform or business to do it with. So I was always like, I'm going to do this. I'm gonna do this. And people would be like, you're bugging. Joey came out the, he came right out swinging. And, um, you know, he's in the, he's a kid from Brooklyn that just grew up literally. Like, I, think, I think he was born like a day or two, I think one day, uh, or the same day, maybe as, um, Smith of Wessons, The Shining, and that always bugged me out. Oh, wow. yeah. His mother was like cool with all them, and he grew up like he literally grew up in this. Like he remembers hearing Biggie as like a baby and all that. So he like grew up in the middle of the Brooklyn, in the middle of all this great music, and you know the it shows because look at what he does with his music, and mm-hmm. that like that's good parenting. So <laughs> shout out to Miss Kim. Yeah.
0: Word up. So, I mean, you know, the album's called The Balancing Act. Tell us, uh, you know, why that title for this album? I had it before 2020 started. I actually have been teasing it
1: for almost two years now, and um, this year just amplified it all. Like, I had the the cover was shot before this whole quarantine, before the pandemic, all that, and my life just kept, you know, know, life can imitate art, art can imitate life, but it was like this whole thing has been crazy because... There's so many layers to it now. It's like the balancing act meant just like, you know, I wake up every day, be with my kids, she go to sleep around eight, eight PM and I go to the studio and then the club and the, you know, the madness of touring and coming home and being a dad. And that's really what the balancing act was. But that's like the that's just the beginning of it now. It's like with this year and I feel like everyone in the world had to deal with the balancing act this year, especially people with kids, especially with looking for new ways to make money and all this it's like life is a balancing act for real for real and this yeah. album just like amplified it and as the album went on too like pieces were coming in like when jack Harlow's was he he did that verse like i was like probably halfway through the album and he's talking about everything going on in that verse like i would never i never would have got that song done that way if we weren't going through this because the beat spoke to him a certain way and like, what he's talking about on the record just wanted to happen. So it's crazy. It's like a silver lining for me. And, you know, certain other records I was waiting on didn't even get done. And then, you know, you got records like um, like Way Up with Havoc and uh, Bun B talking about Prodigy and Pimp C. And on the hook, Highly Supreme killed it. But we're talking about, you know, everybody we lost in the last couple of years from Nipsey to Mac Miller, Sean Price, uh, Steez, like, we, Fife. We mentioned everybody on the record, but it's like, that song is another one that like hip hop fans will hear with the tumble, and it'll really hit them a certain way. But the hook, anyone can relate to. So I think this album's like very relatable on a lot of on a lot of levels. Yeah, I mean, that's that, that go, go
2: ahead, go ahead, Jay.
0: I mean, Static, you and I over the years. I mean, in addition to your career, you know, we've built over DITC, and you introduced me to Q Tip many years ago. Like we're both, you know, hardcore hip hop heads. That being said, the the record time with Jack Harlow that you just mentioned it's my favorite joint on the album um i'm hearing that a lot which is yeah, cool. same here. Same here. and it's and it's interesting because jack i mean with his material he continues to just just rope me in more um and he talks about in his verse building with you around the time mac died and i just want to ask you as, as such a trusted gatekeeper of this this culture talk to me what gravitated you towards jack you know in in 2018 when when that was going on it's crazy because when he said it on the song, I got goosebumps because
1: I didn't like really recall it. When he said it, I remembered the night we went out. We only, you know, hung out a couple times, probably like a handful of times. But this one specific night, he hit me up and um he was like, What's going on? I'm in the city. And, you know, I was I was playing his record a lot, and we, we were chopping it up a couple times. And he was like, What's going on? Anything going on? I want to go out. And I was like, I'm going to marquee. It was a Saturday night. Um, I was just going out to go out and, you know, see what's going on. And he was like, can I roll with you? I'm like, yeah, of course. And he he came out and we're sitting at this table right in front of the DJ booth with all these bottles, badass chicks everywhere. Like this shit was popping and we're just having a serious ass conversation. And that's something that happens a lot in my life. Like when I go out with a certain artist or whatever, but we're just sitting there at the table, like sitting on the couch in the middle of this crazy party. And he was asking me about Mac. And I think Mac had just died maybe like, Within a week of that conversation, and um, you know I was I was fucked up. I still am. But um, he could he, I guess he said it in the song like he could really feel that, and then I think it um it influenced him. Obviously Mac Miller had some influence on him. Um, but yeah, I first got put on a jack with a record called Sundown, and then I met him at South by, and then I just I fuck with the kid's energy, and he can really rap. You know, not every song he does is my style that I play on my radio show, but I love the records. Like if I hear him. It's not like we've been in the club for a while, but if I hear him in the right atmosphere, I love him. I'm really happy with his success for what's popping and all that. And he's rapping on that. Don't get it twisted. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people probably just called onto him this
2: year with that record, uh, but obviously yeah. he's been doing it for some time. So can you shed any light on the work he's put
1: in on Jack? I mean, Jack yeah. is just, he's breaking, you know, anytime an artist comes out and just does them and it seems genuine. I love it. And that's what really he's been doing. Um, he's not trying to force nothing. He's just, he's like a swagged out kid from Kentucky that moved to Atlanta and like seeing him in the atmosphere and the love he gets is like, it's a different thing. Cause it's not, it's not the same as what Mac did. It's not the same as, obviously the other day he's going to get labeled a white rapper cause that's what people do. Obviously we've grown out of that a little bit in hip hop cause it's more normal now. But, you know, if someone came out with the same thing as Mac or the same way as whoever, it would get labeled that way. I feel like Jack Harlow got his own look, his own vibe, and um, I, I messed with him. Man, his his work ethic's crazy. He's he's focused on it. Yeah, he's working with interesting artists too. He's
2: got that record with uh, Problem and J. Rock too, which is you know dope and yeah. out of left field. You know, so I attended um, one of your listening sessions. Is a, a press event for Lucky Seven back in 2015, and at that time you were really adamant that that was going to be your last record that you did as an right. artist. Since then you've had A and now the Balancing Act. What is it that doing your own records gives you that working with other artists doesn't?
1: If I could rephrase it back then, I'm gonna I would say, Hey, a couple of years from now, I'm gonna do this <laughs> album called The Balancing Act, and that's gonna be my last album. Now, <laughs> yo, it's way worse now. Like when I look back at that album, you know what it was? That album came out uh, two weeks before my daughter was born. And I was like, you know what? I'm not chasing no rappers around. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. I was going to stay busy either way, producing for other people and doing this or collab albums or whatever. But I was like, the whole process of putting out one of these albums like that I've been doing is it's pretty excruciating at times. And um, I, that's how I feel right now. I'm just like, when I turn this album in, I'm not going to lie, I've never felt so relieved in my life as far as turning in the album. This was the one that I was like, it was turned in, I was still waiting on a couple of things, and I was like, nah, I'm putting it in. Shout out to um, shout out to Killer Mike, he came through with the verse like, last, last minute, and I didn't even hit him up till last minute too so that that says a lot about him he was just like, bro, whatever you ever need he was like, I remember when you were at my shows when no one was there, there'd be a hundred people and you were at every show that you could be at, and he's like, anything you need, I got you, and that hit me a certain way too, because me and Mike are way past the music, but the fact he even put that in the conversation, like Shout out to Killer Mike and um, yeah man, I was just really relieved when I turned this album in because I wanted to I wanted to, to drop on Black Friday because it marked 25 years of me being a DJ and it just had so much. It was like my anniversary day. It was full circle. Doing the first single with Joey and Nas is full circle for me because obviously everybody knows that me and Joey rock together and me and Nas rock together. But like I was, you know, DJing for Nas 10 years ago in Hawaii and doing mixtapes with him in 2006 and all these. That was like a beginning for me in New York, and then now here we are. And it's like, if I didn't put Joey and Nas together, I would have felt whack about it hmm.
2: 25 years ago. That's a specific date. What happened back then? What got you started? What was it? What was the venue? Uh,
1: Thanksgiving, 1995, man. Um, I uh, I went to New Jersey for, for uh, Thanksgiving, my family's house, and my cousin was like, Yo, you, you gotta listen to 197, because I was already into Wu Tang and you know, Nas and out but i was already like heavy into it but i wasn't like you know even really the least bit interested in djing like i i, I had a friend or two that had turntables but um i went to new york uh, to jersey and i put on 197 and just sat there with my headphones like literally for 48 hours just listening to every show but the one that really caught me was primo did a live mix and you, my alarm keeps going off um primo is one of the djs that did a guest set that day and he did uh he was doing these mixes from like group home records that weren't even out yet into Lord finesse into the way he was doing it was just like mesmerized me. Like he was blending them so perfect and then bringing them back and scratching. And it was a certain flavor. And then same thing, like kid Capri was on funk flex. And it was just a moment, bro. It's, it spoke to me a certain way. And I was like, now when I get home, this is like literally the next day when I went back up North, I was like, this is what I'm doing with my life. Like I just decided it right there. I was like, this is it and I like you know it was like a, a, a meant to be moment because I literally haven't looked back since that day ever yeah. there's never been there's never been one second in my entire life since that day in 1995 that I was like um maybe I'll do this like ever it's always been this you remember any records you played in that set
2: how many records uh or any of the record you remember any of the records you played during that set, that that I, set didn't, did? no, I didn't know I didn't play a record Oh okay
1: okay. I was listening to 197 and I oh, heard gotcha, gotcha. Oh, so that also that was gotcha, nah, gotcha, that was the oh, day gotcha. I like yeah. I started buying That's records. I decided, yeah. I took my dad's turntable out the living room, put it in my room, like that was when I like I literally started scratching like the next day. So <laughs> I consider that day a very uh big moment in time for me and then, you know, fast forward, here we are. And it's like it's bugged out cuz like Preem's one of my best friends now, like the way you end up like most people say there's like a there's a saying like don't meet your heroes because sometimes you can be really heartbroken like i'm fortunate for me like most of my heroes i've met have ended up becoming like you know extended family or just like you know it's 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 a dream come true man so i'm very thankful and grateful especially being here in this the middle of uh a crazy year and just being embraced by the people that i am and it's a year where you really uh you figure out what's what's important you know
0: you know, I want to, um, you mentioned your daughter being and, and having the artwork, you know, years before the album came out, the balancing act, both you and terminology just make fatherhood such an important part of your brands. Yeah. You know? And I mean, just talk to me about that. That didn't exist in 95 like that with hip hop. And I have to think for all of your fans, both of you guys, that just sends such a positive message that I think it's understated sometimes in the hip hop community it's funny to me because it's not a reach it's like it's not
1: i'm not saying you said it was but the fact that it wasn't that in 95 or wasn't that in 85 like i feel like there was a there was a um there was just like a distance the way we looked at our fathers like we could be like this with them now but like growing up it was like usually we're either scared of your dad or like there was a certain. uh things you didn't talk about or there was like an uncomfortableness sometimes. And I was close to my father, you know, into my teenage years. But, um, now it's like, I, there's something about just being a dad that it's like, it's all I want to do. Obviously I think we have, um, I'm speaking for me in term. We have, uh, a, a, an and I don't want to say a luxury, but it's, it's like an earned luxury that we can be with our kids all day. And, you know, we don't work nine to fives. We, we work at nighttime and we, tr- you know, we do what we got to do. But the fact that I can be with my kid all day is like, it, she's my everything. Like, of course, I put on, on my album cover or talk about her all day because it's the best experience. And I know term feels the same way, but it's like there are a lot of we have to stand up for ourselves because not only are there a lot of whack ass deadbeat dads out there, but there's also a lot of mothers that that like talk down on the dads and the dads get a lot of slack in life. In general, you can be the perfect dad and still get shitted on at some point. So I think when Term came up with Good Dad Game, it was like really just standing up for what we do and the work we put in the sacrifice all for our kids, man. It's like it's all I could even imagine, man. Like Mm -hmm. I went through it this year where, you know, I don't want to get too much into it, but basically I became a single dad this year. And now it's even more of a balancing act because when I, the last couple of months of finishing this album, I had my daughter half the week and it would be like no music, nothing, no drinking, no, none of that. And then when I drop her off, I got a, three days to do this album. And it would be like every week, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I'd be like nonstop working on the album, mixing, mastering, going after. Like even the days I had her, I wasn't even chasing verses. I wasn't going out. It was like a, a switch. And that was yeah. the real balancing act this year. And, um, you know, I'm just, I'm thankful for all of it, man. Hmm. Even with this interview, I was like, I can't do it until Thursday because the other day, like, I, I don't do press. I don't do none of that on the other days, you know? Makes sense.
0: Yeah, you know, when you talk about that experience 25 years ago, I mean, you and I are, are close in age and you, you carry that love of hip-hop with you from what you do with Fame or you got Thurston Howe on this album, which is really dope. You've remained so true to not only the underground but but veterans of the underground. Just tell me about your refusal to compromise, because I think we've all watched so many people constantly turn their back on their roots, and you never have. You've carried. I hate it. Life. I talk about it all the time, man. Like I, there's just there's certain artists that
1: I feel a certain way about because they came out uh, name dropping certain people, and then when they got on, they didn't with they didn't like hold up to the, their part of the bargain. Like there's a certain artist that. They, it pisses me off, but I would never, ever do that. Like to this day, first of all, someone like little fame, like that's my brother, man. He's here multiple days a week. That's like, that's different. But as far as like someone like Thurston, right. He's never been on one of my projects. We never did one song before, but we'd known each other for probably 20 years, like off and on through shows and through running around, being on tour, being in Miami, being in Bo- He spent a lot of time in Boston. Um, it was always just a mutual respect. And then this year I was so happy and proud of him when, um, the Ralph Lauren documentary came out. He was in it. I had him come up to the radio show, and he's been on my show a couple times before that too, but this was the time. Every time we would talk about doing something, it would kind of just get lost in the in the shuffle. And this time, I was like, "Nah, bro, I need you on my album." And um, the Sean Price verse was like a blessing. So crazy, I was going through sessions in my computer, and I found it. I was like, "Oh my God, what is this?" And it was just this verse that Sean did for my man and never got used. So I, mm-hmm. I made a couple phone calls. I was like, bro, I need your blessing to use this. And he's like, go ahead. Like, it never came out. You can't find it anywhere. Mm-hmm. So I took the acapella and put it on the other thing. And like, Sean would have, me and Sean were like this. So I know he yeah. would have approved, especially with him and Thurston. Wow. You know, both of them are, uh, you know, they're both low lives and decepts, which is crazy. Anyone that knows Brooklyn, like that's crazy history. And and Thurston was talking about that a lot on my show before he even found out I put Sean on the record. So the fact that came out like that's crazy. Um, and it was just us paying homage. You know, Sean was a real low head. I've been I've been going him in the last couple of years. I grew up you know having a lot of polo and all that but the last couple years i've really been going crazy and i had to talk to thurston and be like yo bro i don't want you to think it's like weird out of nowhere i've been going ham with it but (laughs) it just felt you know i never had keeping a buck i couldn't afford to do that when i was younger you know so um yeah we we definitely connect and talk i actually mailed him a piece today man like i that's my dude so um shout out to thurston howell who's if you don't know who he is, you gotta Google him because he's the the god at this. And uh, you know, to have Sean, to have the last joint I ever do with Sean, be with with Thurston is is crazy for me. Because yeah. you know, I'm a I'm a Brooklyn. I'm adopted by Brooklyn at this point. I've been here for 16 years, and all my big bros are like from Fame to to Sean, rest in peace, to Primo, to so many people that. Have so much history in Brooklyn, uh, Smith and Weston. I think me and Smith and Weston about to knock out a project, so I'm excited for that.
0: Okay, too. all, all right.
2: right. Yeah. So what's the pro- what's the process like when you
1: create an album?
2: Do you have like a list of artists you want to get, or like is it more organic? How does it work?
1: I make the list after I have like two or three records. I usually have to have like two or three songs, and I'll be like, "Nah, it's time. It's time to start to start this." And um, with this album. The moment that happened, I was in uh, I was in the Bahamas with Joey at this crazy studio. We went on like a retreat in 2019. And it was like me, Joey, um, Chuck Strangers, powers, a couple producers, and his engineer. And we went out there and it was just like focused on Joey's album. But we had eight studios in this crazy complex and this like private name. It was it was so crazy because we were staying in like this compound with like all like Tiger Woods owns and Justin Timberlake. It's crazy. So we're out there riding around golf carts. We got private chef, all this craziness, but we're just in the studio, literally like 19 hours a day. And I had my own room. So I was in there cooking the whole time. I probably made like 60 beats there in in eight days. And um, a couple on the album from those sessions, but the one song watch me with Joey he heard the beat and he started free. I think we were on like IG live messing around and he started freestyling to it. And I was like, nah, we got to do that one. So I brought it back in and he recorded the song and then the hook, he goes, yo, I'm points that. And I was like, Oh shit. Okay. So we made it. The next day we're standing at breakfast and I'm just like at the table. And I was like, I know he, I was like, you don't even want me to say this right now because we're focused on your album. But I was like, let me get that song, bro. <laughs> and he's like, nah, bro. Like he's like, I'm- I got a vision for it. He's, he had like this whole thing for it. And I was like, bro, if you give me an I'll, I'll like use that as like the intro to my radio show every week, which I started tonight with, uh, I did it as the intro tonight. But um, oh. I'm like, I need that record. And he's like, whatever, man, take it. <laughs> so <laughs> I, that, that moment that he was like, take it, in my brain, I was like, new album time, let's go. Hmm. That was the moment that I was like, nah, I got I to gotta put this together. It was actually the same day that uh, West Side Gun had sent me, I sent him a beat. A while ago and he sent it back to me. And he's like, Yo, I want Fat Joe on this. And I was like, It's not that simple, bro. Like <laughs> in my head, I was like, You should hit up Fat Joe then. Cause I'm like, it ain't that simple. So I was like, I'll text it to him for you. So I texted to Joe and Joe and I I remember I was like, Yo, this is from West Side Gun, peep it. And he goes, What do you want me to do? I was like, I don't know. I was like, West Side want me to send it to you. I'm the me- I'm the messenger. And he's like, he didn't say nothing so i was like oh man you know joe's not the dude you just send shit to like joe's the coolest dude don't get it twisted but he's also not the dude to just expect things from and that day like the next day or whatever within 24 hours joe just sent it back to my text with his verse on it and that was uh kelly's corner too from um uh hitler seven that the west side dropped so i was like i was bugged out from that too and then um I think that's why I didn't get Joe on this album, though, because I think he felt like he did that as a favor yeah. for the album. <laughs> yeah. uh, Joe's my big bro forever, yeah. man. Shout out to Joey Crack. But, um, yeah, that was the same day. So it was like all the vibes out there were so bananas, man. And, um, you know, Joey's album's incredible. I can't wait for people to hear it. That's what, that's why we were out there. So that song, Watch Me, is like a product of that, all those sessions. And um, so is uh, the beat with Black Thought, The Healing. Okay. That beat's one. Of, I made that beat there. I made, I think I made um the one with Havoc and Bun B. There's a grip of beats on album that I made like in that short time in that, that Bahamas Sessions. Did you make uh Shine while you were down there? Nah, I made Shine a long time ago. Uh There's like 50 versions that song went
0: through. Wow. There's like probably four or five verses that's been on that song, but I'm happy the way it came out. Yeah, when you talk about sampling, you know, I mean, Ayers, Roy Ayers joint is is, you know, hip hop, you know, royalty. And you here we are, you know, 30 years after Brand Nubian, and you're still flipping it in new ways and doing contemporary things with it, which is dope.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was a it was it was crazy to me because my man shout out to my man Lazy Boy. He sent me the session, the multi-tracks of Everyone Loves the Sunshine. Oh wow. Because the way I flipped it, you can't do that with the record. Like, I had to go in and take the different, you know, the bass notes and chop them up and the piano and all that. And um, I was just happy to be messing with that. But when I made it, someone was here. I forget who was here. They were like, yo, I think little Fame was here. He was like, Joey, sound dope on that. like, yeah, I was already thinking that. So I sent it to Joey that day, and he, like, sent it right back. Like, yo, this is crazy, blah, blah, blah. And um, we had to... You know, when it came down the sample, obviously we knew we could clear it because so many people have used it. So I, I reached out to um, Roy's daughter who manages him, and Roy heard the record before anyone came to clear it with him. So I gave like a kind of, um, you know, like a, a, just not a warning, but like just a, in advance of the song so he could hear it. And she's like, my dad's cool with it. Like, let's do it. So clearing the record wasn't even that hard. And he actually didn't even take that much of the record either. I was really surprised and happy about that. So that record holds a special place in my heart. I love that Joey record, Sean. Yeah. You know, so in
2: addition to Joey, you got a few artists that you work with pretty regularly, but you in turn are a whole different level. you got multiple projects together, multiple songs. Um, You know, he was actually the second interview for AFAs because you guys were together that day. Can you talk about the bond you guys have? Because I know it's bigger than just music.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, we we uh, we both grew up in this. We were born in the same hospital, which is crazy, same year, and we we grew up in the around the same neighborhoods. But um, I moved away when I was ten, so he used to come to this club. I met him when I was sixteen at this club. Um, it was called Heaven in Hampton Beach, New Hampshire, and it was crazy over there because every Friday night I would DJ. And there would be like 500 people from Lawrence, from Lowell, some from Boston, from all over New Hampshire. There was like that whole area. Everybody would go to this club on Friday nights and there'd be insane fights. People get like, it was insanity, but we had an open mic at the end of the night. Every, this is in the 90s, 98. It's crazy when I look back on it because some, for some reason, that's like the end of the 90s to me, which it is, but it's still the 90s and the world was a crazy uh, place um term would walk up every night at, at like 1 a.m at the end of the night and be like yo i got bars put me in the open mic open mic and he'd get on and he'd be wearing his little like mortal kombat Raiden hat and he was trying to battle everybody and um we just connected off of like you know name dropping the kind of music we were listening to and at the time it was a lot of underground boss and stuff like mr lift and 7l esoteric and you know rex was like we looked at rex like oh shit rex is coming to the club like Shout out to Rex, man. That's my brother too. Um, but we connected over that to the point where he was like, "Yo, come to my crib in Haverhill. Hey, I got, um, you know, I got, I got records." I, he was like so proud. He's like, "I collect records," and that that was rare for someone that wasn't a, you know, he was a 16 year old rapper. He wasn't a DJ. He never tried to DJ, none of that. He had a record collection though, because he wanted the the 12 inches with the instrumentals and acapellas and all that. And he, I remember he had an ASRX and all that. So I'd go over there, and then he'd come up to my mom's crib. And we just talk rap shit. Like neither one of us was, I wasn't even talking about beats yet. I was making them on the low, but not just like fast forward a couple years. I'm doing my thing in Boston. And um, this is like 2003 now. He, uh he was dropping his first album. He was working on called out the gate. And he wanted me to scratch on the intro. So he came through, I did the cuts and then I was like, yo, I'm moving. He's like, what? Like we were just linking back up five years later. And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, I'm moving to New York. So I moved to New York and he would come down. He, at the time he was, um he was working with Dan green and Dan green was working at Koch. So term would come around and like, you know, freestyle my mixtapes or whatever. But I ended up putting out that album that I did the scratches on three years later. I ended up putting it out as the first release on show off records, my label. So through those years, like being in the Bronx and, and really putting in like, those were the years we grinded it out we were running around the city just meeting people and doing everything we had to do and those were the years where he was like bugging primo for a beat and all that and one night in 2006 primo was like you think term would like this and played watch Out go down and a lot changed from there and it you know it, it was um that was a pivotal moment man so ever since then i mean you know we've become we became brothers early, but it was those years in the Bronx that we really became close. And now, term, term got the studio next door. Now, you know what I mean? Oh,
0: uh, yeah. So you no, know, you. Oh, go ahead.
1: Go ahead,
2: Jake.
0: You know, you mentioned you mentioned like the term bug and premiere. I want to ask you just because you are such an ambassador of hip hop, you work with all regions, all eras. Um, you're a gatekeeper. How does Static Selector, nice guy, you know, does so much for the culture? How do you tell people no? when they want to be on your album or they want this or want that? Like, what does that look like for you?
1: I like that you said gatekeeper because it's such a controversial word now in 2020. There's nothing wrong with the word gatekeeper. Like I I see people online act like it's a threat or like a power move or any of that. And I don't call my, I don't, I don't call myself that. I just find it interesting when I watch certain people be like, the gatekeepers are over this and that Uh people just take, um, I just take pride in the fact that, like, in my lane, like, you want to, when you hear certain names and you think about certain artists, you probably heard them on sh- on Show Off Radio on Shade 45 first. You probably heard them on my album first. Like, I take pride in that. And that's not being, like, a gatekeeper. Like, you can't get on if you don't mess with me. That's not what it's saying. It's saying, like, like I, my ear and my, my lane, what I do, like, I, I take pride in it. So if someone comes around playing a record that, it does not fit my shit. Don't take it personal. You just don't match what I'm doing at the time. And it's crazy because all the time people get, you know, they feel a certain way when they bring me a record and I don't play it. It's like my show is my show because they trust me to do what I do. So why am I going to go outside my lane or my comfort zone, not my comfort zone, but what I'm known for and what my fans and, and listeners love. Why am I going to do that? Just cause you, you're emotional. Like, mm. You'd be surprised what some of these rappers say when it's like, they'll bring me a trap record or a club record yeah. or whatever. And it's like, bro, good luck with that. It's a good song. Or it might not be well, either way. Or if it's a boom bap record, it's not a good song. I'm not going to play it. Like I, it has to sit with me a certain way. The mix got to be right. The feeling got to be right. Like, and this is where I'm just speaking on my show. I'm not talking about nobody else's. I'm speaking of mine. And it's like, I curate my show a specific way where it's like at the end of the day, I love that those cats are gonna come to me. They don't have to, but it always ends up happening because there's only a few outlets for this. And I take pride in being the first one to work with. You know, I don't even wanna start the list because I leave people out. And sometimes I try to do it, bro. Every, the list of artists that have been on my show first in the last 10 years is insanity. It's like half a rap now.
0: Well, I mean, you know, and I really respect what you said too of like, you know, in terms of AFH, you know, even when we didn't cover you, you appreciate the platform and the site. And I look at it, and, and, you know, the artists on your album, all of them have their own careers that started years ago, but it's awesome to see a Rome Streets or a Rim or a Coda, you know, Coda on the same album as Nas and Black Thought and Two yeah. And, that is Co- yeah, Coda's
1: ahead. killing it right now. He's, yeah.
0: like, he's yeah. killing it.
1: But guess what? A lot of hip-hop heads are going to hear him on my album for the first time because he's not part of certain conversations. He has his movement and his fans, but putting him on the album with Nas and Method Man and Dave East and all these other people and Conway and Benny and um, Jack Harlow, all those people I just named have all different fans. Mm-hmm. Now to put them all together, it just helps make the hip hop a better place, man. I'm not doing it to be like, oh, look look who I know. I'm doing it because I want to keep this place, this little piece of of uh, space I have in my hip hop world. I want to be able to like make people, you know, be excited about this shit again and feel a certain way when you hear a song. And hopefully I did that. I've been getting a lot of crazy feedback on the album. So I appreciate everybody even if it was two words, just some of the feedback I've been getting made me uh, feel like it's everything's all, everything's worth it, man. All the all the stress and all the balance is like people are really relating with it and loving it, and it means a lot.
2: No, it's super dope, you know. And the, and the philosophy you said is the same philosophy we have with AFH. You know, what I mean, we we, we take yeah. very strong pride in our brand and curate because we know what the audience wants.
1: So. Like you guys, you your your site and Two dope boys to me is like the two places that are like. What I love, you know what I mean? Now there's a bunch of other dopes and websites I go on, but the thing is is a lot of it now I'm seeing certain things turn into like, you know, trash tabloids, you know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. I you know, I don't wanna see that for hip hop. And sometimes yeah. I get too uh too into it when I'm defending hip hop and all this, but I really love it that much that I have to because I feel like the people that used to do that, like I remember Primo used to get an articles and go in on like he just talked everything he felt and be and shit, Pete rock, all these people used to have so much passion. Well, they still do, but I feel like now those aren't the questions they get asked no more. And it's like, I'm in that position where I have to be like, bro, I'm going to protect this hip hop shit because if you mm-hmm. don't, and I know you guys do too. If we don't like it will go to, to shit. And it's like, it, it has in certain levels, but at the same time it hasn't because. Griselda is shining. Alchemist and Freddie Gibbs are up for fucking Grammy. Like, <laughs> Things are great, but at the same time, there's a lot of nonsense going on.
2: Yeah, Royce too. I mean, this has been a crazy year. Yeah, shout out to Royce, man. I'm lyricism. so happy for him. Yeah, being
1: recognized. You know, so, so Royce uh, was coming to my crib in Boston. Like, he might have been the first famous rapper to ever come to my crib. Like, I've known Royce since. The, I've seen him go from the top to the bottom, back on top, and now he, he's been consistently on top for a long time now. But Royce has been through it, man. He yeah, as a producer,
2: of you know, talk about like watching him turn into a producer all of a sudden too. Because a lot of it's people, don't know he
1: whole one, album. yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. dope. I'm not gonna lie, I wish I produced a record on there, but nah. I'm happy <laughs> I'm happy he produced his whole album. And you know, it's showing people that uh, that you can do anything if you try, man. Like Royce is someone that never had to even think about that. He had the best producers in the world in his phone at all times. The fact he wanted to expand and do that. That late in the game, too, is crazy. It'd be one thing if he tried to do it 10 years ago when he still wasn't new 10 years ago. Yeah. He's doing it now, and that's incredible, you know. I love that.
2: So you produce for a ton of artists. Who are some people you still that you haven't yet had in your production that you want to hear on the track?
1: The list is very short, man. Um, obviously, Jay-Z. Uh, the, I, I feel like the whole thing's going to happen soon because there's been some conversations had in and you know i'm working on some crazy albums right now that hopefully i'm putting it, i'm putting that into the universe but yeah. me and jay like when we see each other it's just a mutual like understanding i guess but you know I, I gotta get him on something um kendrick i love kendrick i've never done anything with kendrick i produced a black hippie song that kendrick wasn't on mm-hmm. and it was like i was like what but anyway <laughs> um who else I don't even know if I can really. You, I'm gonna say Scarface, even though we've done two songs, but they never came out the versions that that I did, so it do, it doesn't count to me. Scarface, Andre three thousand. Um, I'd love to do some of a fifty. I've done like I did a G Unit mixtape back in the day, but he never like rapped on my beat. Um, there's not many, man. I've I've literally worked with everybody. It's a pretty Ill list.
2: Yeah. So. uh... A year ago, you made a very different kind of album with Bun B. Uh, you guys did, at like, I think 12 hours, you did a live stream, it. Yeah. So what what was the prep? Did you have, like, tracks that you were kind of, like, you know, teeing up? Or, like, how did you go about it? was it all just, like, press, play, you know, from scratch?
1: So I came up with the idea. I was like, Bun, let's just do it. I'm going to get title behind it. Um, I'm going to, like it was just certain things that didn't work out that I, the way out title did get behind it they actually a lot of people don't know that they um it was available on title only for a week so they did get behind it but i really wanted title to do like a live the, instead of going on youtube i wanted it to be on through title mm-hmm. but it went through youtube and it's all good because at the end of the day probably more people got to see it um but i basically had the idea i called bun i was like bro just we'll." Let's do it. All, we, all you got to do is like pick the beats and then come and knock it out. I, he, I, was, I knew how Fast Bun wrote. We've done so many records before. And he came up. like It just ended up working out where he had to be in New York for like 12 hours or something the week before. So he came here, seen what the setup was, and then picked the beats. He picked probably like 15, 20 beats. And then when he, when he came back the next week for it, he was ready to go. He didn't write one one lyric, though. Like He just had the beats. Wow. He knew what he wanted to, like, he knew the vibe he was going for. And he would just be like, he'd look at his phone and go, pull up this beat. And he'd start writing. Every single verse was written from scratch right here. And that's for all the rappers too. Like none of the rappers showed up with a verse done.
0: Mm. Those real-time projects have just done so much for hip hop on the internet. You got the uh, Static King, you know, joint behind you. And just, I mean, from Freeway to Saigon, you know, I've really enjoyed that. It's been fun to watch and, and to watch you, Evolve with technology to now go to hey, we can tune in live and watch it happen is just nuts
1: yeah man it's been it's been fun we're gonna keep that going and um uh, I'm looking forward to the next one we do i'm ch- I'm trying to figure it out there's been some good conversations obviously covid uh threw That's everything like off we, we actually did the the quarantine album the nineteen eighty two quarantine album the same way it was live on YouTube while we did it earlier this year
0: mm, wow word. Mm-hmm.
1: so You talked about protecting hip hop culture
2: before. Like, what do you think are some of the key things that we got to do collectively to protect the culture we love?
1: Definitely like educate, like education's everything as far as like for the kids, the next generation to understand what hip hop actually is. And I know there's a lot of people teaching courses at colleges now and all that, but I think that should even trickle down into high school more. And even junior high school, because hip-hop's one of the most powerful cultures in the world. It's in everything you see. It's everywhere you look. It's the way people dress. It's always been like that. But now I feel like it's, I mean, nowadays hip-hop is definitely the most uh, popular music. It's the, it's the, It gets bigger and bigger. And people throw that word hip-hop around like it's not, like, they throw it around. And that's the part I'm like, I don't care if someone says rap or this or that. That's all cool. But hip-hop should be protected because it's it's much more than just, you know, it's not a novelty, man. It's it's a it's a it's a way of life that saved so many people, and and made um, you know so many things happen in the world. Like to this day, I think hip hop had a major part in Obama winning the presidency. I think hip hop had a major part in um, you know in peace in a lot of these communities. Hip hop's had like a lot of great great influence on the world. I mean, look at all the places in the in the like. I'm going to speak for myself. I've been to corners of the planet that I never, ever would have gone without hip-hop. And I'm going to those corners of the planet with with Asian people and, and Latino people and Black people and with all of us on a tour bus or a plane going there, spreading this vibe. And that's like, nothing's ever really done that the way hip-hop does, has ever done that in the world. Like, you can't say anything else they will bring you to Perth, Australia or... You know, you, on the same trip, you'll go to um, South Africa or Japan or China or Thailand. Like, obviously, rock and roll has a big place, but it's not it's not the same reaction when you go. And these kids, like even the countries that don't speak English, like they the way they study it is a different. It literally influences people to change their lifestyle. That's crazy. Yeah, that's probably a way to end
2: it, man. Um, thank you for everything, uh, not just with this album, but the radio show. The other productions, the body of work, keeping hip hop alive. You know, we
1: appreciate you. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. You guys stay doing what you're doing, man. We need you.
2: No doubt. And the album is the balancing act on all DSPs now. iTunes, if you can find it, static selected. Thank you. No, absolutely. I appreciate you, man. Love